Welcome to this Colorado Legal Education Podcast. Thanks for listening. Welcome. This is the Colorado Bar Association podcast of the day. We're going to be focusing today's podcast on workers' compensation, the overall law and intent of the act, and kind of with a focus on what happens from the injured worker standpoint. I am an attorney from the law firm of Alberson & O'Brien. We are a boutique firm located in Denver, Colorado. So just a heads up, this today's law will be focused solely on the state of Colorado. We are a law firm that specializes in workers' compensation and social social security disability. We focus our practice solely on, on representing the folks that are injured in these types of cases. They are called the claimants. Uh, our firm tends to try to emphasize communication with our clients and one-on-one interactions, and we feel that we provide a good service. My name is Matt O'Brien. A little bit about me, <clears throat> I'm one of the partners, as you could probably tell, uh, through the name, if you figure that out. But I am a, a former uh, prosecutor, former d- deputy district attorney in the 15th Judicial District here in Colorado for three years before moving on to a local firm here in Denver doing workers' compensation and social security disability. Uh, I've been doing that now for going on 12 years, been uh, an attorney for 15 years. So let my partner introduce herself. Uh, good morning, or, you know, whatever time you're listening. My name is Erica Alverson. I am Matt O'Brien's partner. Uh, I also practice work comp and social security disability, representing uh, the injured workers at this stage in my career. I did start out representing uh, the insurance companies as a defense attorney in work comp, so I've been on both sides of the bar. I am licensed to practice in both California and Colorado, but again, this podcast is focused on Colorado law, Colorado work comp law. Um, uh, So I've been practicing for 12 years, and we'd like to direct you, if you have any questions about today's podcast, to go to the CBA CLE website. That uh, web address is cle.cobar.org. Um, and uh, we're going to start by going through basically what work comp is in general. So that's where we'll start today's podcast. So work comp in Colorado exists as a statutory system. It's, it's, uh, that's how it was created. It's a very complex system. It's one that I think that most folks, including myself, and I'll speak for Erica, her kind of know exists in general, but don't really have any idea what in the world it means or, or how it goes about. And frankly, that can tend to get some folks kind of in trouble because you assume it's maybe like personal injury and there's elements to that or like employment law and there's elements to that, but it's its own animal and it's statutorily created, which uh, for a practicing attorney can mean some pitfalls with regard to procedures and, and, and those types of things. Just kind of playing off that and adding in, the laws in Colorado change frequently. In fact, there are uh, laws that change every year, basically, with regard to the Work Comp Act. So it's an area of law that you really want to stay focused on uh, keeping up with legislative changes. Most of the people that practice in in our area of the bar here in Denver and I'd say in Colorado in general will either focus on one side and we'll kind of talk about those sides right now. They're the two parties to the, to the case. They're not, they're not, um, they're not necessarily the what you would think, but the injured worker is called the claimant, and, and to kind of make that simple, that's the person that files the claim. The defense in this ca- in these cases are called the respondents, and that's comprised of both the insurance company and the employer respondents because they're responding to the claim of the claimant. Um, Go on to the new sections. Sure. So uh, I'll start talking about basically, you know, the work comp procedure in Colorado. So work comp 
is uh, a mandatory insurance that employers are required to carry to insure their employees against on-the-job injuries. So it covers employees when they're injured performing their job. That's a big area that we see a lot of conflict. Um, so the question becomes whether they are actually performing their job when they get injured or not. But that's that's the main purpose is to ensure employees are covered for their basic losses if they are injured performing their job. It is a no-fault system. That means the employee does not have to prove that the employer was at fault for their injuries, just that they were performing their job when they got injured. Uh, the intended purpose of the act is to get people back to work and minimize the impact on both the employer and the employee. I think the uh, the, the no-fault part is an important component because that differ- that's different than most areas of tort law. And that that's rarely at issue. There's a very small subsection where that even comes into play, and it's it's you know somebody's acting way outside the scope of the employment, basically intends to get hurt, or has violated a safety rule that's a policy written policy of the employer. Even in that scenario, the employee still is entitled to benefits so long as they can prove that they were working at the time of the injury, but the benefits would would be reduced by half. So, the the one of the main areas is Erica. Uh, mentioned of litigation in our area is whether or not the <clears throat> you know the in- the uh, employee was was working so to speak at the time of the injury we get a lot of calls Matt and I do about if you know a uh, employee was driving for their job and was ticketed for an accident that they caused are they still covered under work comp and because it is no fault they are still covered like Matt mentioned there is can be a reduction in benefits but the main goal of the act is to keep employees covered if they suffer, you know, just basic losses as a result of an on-the-job injury. Another part of that is, it, it, you know, the employer, we get a lot of calls from employees that are kind of mad. My, my employer made me get up on this ladder and I felt out, you know, they have to do kind of risky types of things. And the severity of what you were doing at the time of the injury doesn't, doesn't really matter either. What matters is that you were hurt at work performing your job duties, and then subsequently maybe the the results of that injury, such as, you know, the severity. Do you require a surgery, that type of thing? But the mechanism is not so important um, as it is in other areas of law. Who is more at fault? Gosh, the employer, they, they knew about this for you know, 10, 15 years, we've been telling them there's a pothole there and they didn't do anything. There's other areas of the overall law where where remedy can be sought, but that's not something that's going to really be considered for work comp purposes other than were you working at the time of the injury. And because uh, it's compulsory, because the statute requires employers to carry this work comp insurance for their employees, it is the exclusive remedy for an employee when they're injured on the job. That means that they are not able to sue their employer for fault, for negligence, recklessness, anything like that. The exclusive remedy that the employee has against the employer is coverage under the Colorado Work Comp Act. Yeah, we get a lot of calls. uh, Can I sue my employer? Well, you know, that's a term of art, I would say. I don't know if you're really suing them or not. You're pursuing benefits that are available to you under the Work Comp Act. Um, you know, people are, uh, injured workers are oftentimes worried, hey, I don't want to sue my employer. Well, you, the, the claim is not against the employer, actually. It's against the insurance company. It's really no different than having a car accident. You uh, are in a car accident. Your claim is, if you're covered, is not going to be against the individual that struck you. It's going to be against Progressive, Geico, whomever uh, that person has as their as their car carrier. So, um, you know, you're not suing the employer, and as and likewise, you can't also sue the employer to go for more. Again, a key component and key difference 
uh, between work comp and, say, personal injury is the lack of uh, remedy for pain and suffering. That's a question we get asked a lot. Pain and suffering is not available in a workers' compensation claim. It would be in a personal injury claim. That's, that brings us kind of to what benefits then are covered under the Colorado Work Compact. Because it is compulsory, because employers are required to carry this insurance for their injured workers, the legislature has reduced the types of benefits that are available under Colorado Work Comp. So it, it like Matt was mentioning, it doesn't cover all types of losses, such as pain and suffering, loss of future earning capacity that might be available under different areas of law. There are reduced types of benefits that are available under Colorado Work Comp, uh, at the Colorado Work Compact, and we'll kind of talk about those generally and then go into them more specifically. So just so you know, there are three basic types of benefits that are covered under the Colorado Work Compact. That is medical treatment, wage loss replacement, and permanent impairment. And we're going to talk about those in a little bit more detail. Yeah, so we'll get into medical treatment. So uh, medical treatment, you get hurt at work and medical treatment obviously is required. Uh, then the treatment that's going to be required is anything that's deemed to be reasonable, necessary, and related to the injury. Uh, as we kind of talked about, whether a key area of our litigation is whether or not the injury occurred at work. This is another part that um, is litigated quite often, medical treatment. One is, is the treatment being recommended? Is that reasonable and necessary? Uh, that's to be debated, obviously, and, and it would it, the injured worker would have to prove entitlement to that benefit or to any specific treatment that's being sought. Is that medical treatment um, uh, related? That's another part that's difficult, and that's where pre-existing stuff comes into play. We get a lot of a lot of defenses are are based around pre-existing uh, parts, pre-existing defenses. So. Um, the injured worker would need to prove that the medical treatment being sought is reasonable, necessary, and also related to the injury. That's an important thing to talk about because once you establish that you were injured on the job, we call that you have a compensable claim. If you are injured performing your job and uh, at the time and place of your employment, then you have what we call a compensable claim. By virtue of having a compensable claim, that does not necessarily mean that all treatment that is recommended for that injury will be approved. You still, as the injured worker, will carry the burden to prove entitlement to every specific treatment recommendation that is made. And to to prove entitlement to those benefits, you have to go through those steps Matt was talking about. You have to prove, first, that it's reasonable, reasonable to treat the injury. Second, that it's necessary, so not just some could-help type of treatment. This has to be necessary to cure and relieve the effects of the injury. And then lastly, that it's related to the -the on-the-job injury and not a pre-existing condition. And kind of to piggyback off of that, the injured workers will call us a lot and say, I, you know, we'll ask, is the injury, has it been denied? Is it admitted? And they'll say, yeah, it's admitted. They're paying, the insurance company's paying for my medical treatment. The insurance company can choose to pay for medical treatment or not, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the claim has been admitted or legally compensable. There are kind of nuanced reasons as to why an insurance company might want to still pay for medical treatment, but maybe not admit that the injury is work-related. And I think that's that might be a little bit outside of of what we're going to get into today. But the point is that just because the medical treatment is being paid for, do not assume that the actual injury has been admitted as work-related. 
And the reason for that is because as long as the uh, employer and the insurance company, both referred to as respondents, provide medical treatment to an injured worker, they retain control over who the injured worker treats with. So there are they're incentivized to provide treatment because they get to direct who provides that care versus if they deny treatment as well as compensability, then the injured worker might have the right to select whichever treating physician he or she chooses. Yeah, the way that that's the way that that works is once the injury is reported, the employer is supposed to provide a written list of different medical providers. And I say different because this law has changed from time to time. Right now, it's four medical providers uh, within seven days of the injury with whom the injured worker can seek treatment. The injured worker gets to select where they want to go at that time. <clears throat> and any treatment that's, that, that is provided by that or recommended by that doctor will probably be paid, but not necessarily by the insurance company. So don't assume that either. Uh, hey, the doctor recommended this. It should be paid for. Each, each specific treatment has to be authorized by the insurance company, and the insurance company does not have to authorize that. And if they don't, then it's on the, the, the onus shifts to the injured worker to assert a right to that medical benefit under the uh, reasonable necessary and related standards. So, and, and furthermore, if the injured worker is not satisfied with the provider that they've selected, they can change to a different provider on that list, but the request must be made within 90 days of the date of injury. That's a key uh, area that we get a lot of injured workers coming in and say, gosh, I didn't know that. And, you know, I don't know that the public probably would know that, but that's uh, ignorance of law, unfortunately, is not a defense. So, it's important to know that if you don't like your doctor or, w or want to see somebody else, you, you have to make that request in writing within 90 days of the date of injury. Uh, if medical treatment is provided as one of the benefits under the Colorado Work Compact, it is provided to the injured worker until that injured worker reaches a point in time called maximum medical improvement. That's a term of art, a specific term of art under our Colorado Work Compact, and it's a major point in any and all claims. Uh, it is de it's a point in time where the injured worker has benefited as much as they are going to from any treatment that could be reasonable, necessary, and related to the care, and their uh, condition is not expected to to improve past that point. At that point in time, the injured worker may or may not have recovered completely from the injury. If they have not, then that would lead us into the last benefit that's provided under Colorado law. That's permanent impairment, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but that would compensate them for the permanent loss. If they reach maximum medical improvement and they have recovered, then the treatment ends, the wage loss will have been paid, hopefully, through the course, and there is no additional compensation provided to the injured worker if they have not suffered any permanent damage as a result of the injury. Yeah, the, the, and good explanation, Eric. And the, the last medical benefit is one that's kind of overlooked, but re mileage reimbursement, and that changes every year based on the IRS tax codes. It's usually around 50-something cents per mile. And also any assistive devices that are necessary to cure and relieve the effects of the injury would also be provided. That is a, that's a term that basically means crutches, braces, those types of things. So those would also fall under the medical benefit category. And a little caveat to keep in mind with regard to medical treatment is that the insurance the respondents, the insurance company and the employer retain control over who the injured worker sees. So if the injured worker goes seeks treatment with a doctor that's not authorized, even if the treatment could have been deemed reasonable, necessary, and related, it might not be covered because it's not provided by an authorized treating physician. Correct. 
So we're going to shift now to the second benefit, which is lost wages. So it, just how this works in the real world, somebody gets hurt at work, they're not able to return to their job because of the uh, restrictions they have in place, maybe from the injury, and, and they're off of work. So what happens then? Well, work comp will cover that. Again, all of these benefits are are only only come into effect if the if the injury is either admitted by the insurance company or the injured worker has to go to court and prove that they are entitled to the benefit by proving that the injuries are work related. So the first lost wage is called temporary total disability and this is a situation where the injured worker is completely unable to return to work within those restrictions. That's that's when a doctor states that the injured worker is unable to perform their job in its entirety, uh, and the employer can accom- or and or the employer can accommodate whatever restrictions the doctor has assigned. If the injured worker can't work at all, or if the employer can't accommodate the restrictions assigned by a treating physician, then the injured worker is entitled to ra- wage replacement from the insurance company. Again, termed total temporary total disability. It is paid at two thirds of whatever that injured worker's average weekly wage is. And the reason for that is because it's not taxed. The average weekly wage is something that gets that gets litigated from time to time as well. So the average weekly wage is, is supposed to be just a fair, the, the law states a fair calculation of the wage. That's a fair as, you know, what does that mean? That can mean just about anything, uh, you know, tips, um, Per diems, uh, some folks get mileage reimbursement, uh, different fringe benefits, housing, that type of thing. But it's the gross wages that the injured worker was earning as of the date of injury. That's the key component. And then uh, the temporary total disability would, like Erica said, would be paid at two-thirds of whatever that amount is. There is a cap on that amount. It changes every year. So uh, say a a person that makes a million dollars a week, (laughs) that'd be awesome. But a person that makes that type of money is not going to get two-thirds of that. They would be capped at whatever the statutory uh, rate is for that particular year, and that changes every year. Yeah, that's that's on a COLA increase, and that is uh, becomes effective every year, je- basically on July 1st. So check the laws. Every, anytime you have an injury, check that year's uh, caps because they change every year. So sometimes when the person gets hurt, the employer will say, will, will provide a job that are, that are within the restrictions, uh, but the injured worker is maybe not working the same hours or sometimes the rate of pay goes down or or what have you. But in, in some circumstances, the injured worker returns to work but is not earning what they did prior to the injury. What happens there? Well, that's the second part of lost wages. That's called temporary partial disability or TPD. You're going to hear a lot of acronyms here. We've had MMI, TTD, and this is now TPD. So in that scenario, the injured worker, so long as they have restrictions in place, is going to be entitled to two-thirds of the difference between what they made prior to the injury and what they're now making with the uh, modified job duty. The idea is to make the injured worker whole, to make them not suffer the loss as a result of the -the on-the-job injury. So that's the wage replacement, the concept behind our law. Uh, We're going to transition now into the third type of benefit that our Colorado Work Comp Act provides, and that is permanent impairment. That is broken into two different types of permanent impairment. There is permanent partial disability compensation and then permanent total disability compensation. This comes into play when the injured worker reaches maximum medical improvement, but has not completely recovered.
recovered from the injury and the doctor assigns a permanent impairment rating. There is a statutory calculation we have in our law that provides compensation for the injured worker as a result of the permanent damage. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. And there's two different types under under the permanent partial disability or PPD. They're called scheduled injuries and non-scheduled injuries. They're called scheduled because they're literally in the statute as such. And the statute kind of dictates how much money is given per different body parts. Scheduled injuries generically are going to cover anything that's not the head, neck, and back. And and uh, the head, neck, and back would be called non-scheduled or whole person injuries. And those are, those are compensated at a, at a little bit different rate. But the way that the uh, impairment rating is calculated, just generically speaking and generally speaking, is going to be based on a, on a range of motion loss to the body part that is injured. So literally the doctor will measure how much you can or can't move the body part that was injured. And then through a series of tables, we'll come up with what is the impairment rating, which is going to be a percentage between zero, meaning there is no impairment, up to 100, meaning you know, fully impaired, that number then will go into a, the mathematical, statutorily imposed mathematical formula to equate the amount of money that's awarded. And then the second type of permanent impairment is called permanent total disability. So if you are completely unable to return to any type of employment, not just the employment that you held prior to the injury, we are talking about any type of employment, and case law has restricted what that, uh, in Colorado has restricted what that means to the point that I think the current law is that if you can earn greater than $4,000 a year, then you are not completely disabled. But if you can prove that, then you might be entitled to something called permanent total disability. Permanent total disability is the biggest award we have under Colorado Work Comp Law, and it basically entitles entitles the injured worker to their wage loss for the rest of their life. So that TTD rate, that two-thirds of their average weekly wage, that weekly benefit would be paid to the injured worker through their entire life. Uh, Or if they were able to be rehabilitated to the point that they could return to work, that's the other time they would cut off. I want to go back to the whole person um, injuries, though, because those are those are paid out a little bit differently than the scheduled injuries. They base the payout on that, on the injured worker's uh, age and also how much money, the average weekly wage or TTD rate that they were earning at the time of the injury. So those are typically uh, injuries that are going to be paid at a higher rate. You're probably going to get more money on those cases. And and it kind of stands to reason because you're talking about injuries to what the legislature anyway deems more uh, severe body parts, the head, neck, and the back. And again, the the grander concept is to make the injured worker whole. This is in the context of an injured worker who suffered an on-the-job injury, has a permanent damage as a result of the injury, and as to compensate them for all the future losses that they will suffer because of the -the on-the-job injury, the permanent impairment concept has been put into our work compact. The injured worker can also get some money for what's called disfigurement. Disfigurement is generally uh, scars or limps, things like that, that result from the injury. And a a judge can take a look literally at the scar and award some money. It's capped. It changes every year. It's, it's, you know, several thousand dollars is what you can get up to. So that, but there is some money available for disfigurement. Uh, now we're going to kind of go from the uh, rights and benefits of the Work Comp Act to kind of talking more towards the injured worker and specifically what an injured worker should do if you happen to be unfortunate and suffer one of these injuries. I, I'd say the first thing, the most important thing, is to report the injury. First of all, it's it's statutorily required to do so within three days, so you're required to do so. But secondly, just from our standpoint as far as 
you know, proving a claim, it's much better to have verifiable uh, reporting. So that would be probably in writing would be the best case. But report that to your supervisor. Hey, I got hurt at work. And then your supervisor is supposed to know what to do in those situations. Uh, then the most, uh, the next step after you have reported the injury to your employer is to ask them where to seek treatment or to seek treatment. Uh, that's uh, really important. A lot of the times we get calls from injured workers who think <clears throat> they just have a minor strain, have felt some kind of on-the-job impact and think that it's going to go away, and then you know a couple weeks later it hasn't. You want to seek treatment as quickly and as consistently as possible. When you go to those appointments, make sure you let them know how the injury occurred they're going to want to get down into the specifics of the injury, what exactly you were doing at the time of the injury, what uh, position your body was in, what injured you. Those those types of questions are going to become important. And it's important to be as clear as you can on those. I mean, that, that stuff at the beginning of the claim really becomes pretty paramount in certain circumstances down the road. So be as clear as you can. Uh, when you go to the doctor, you want to provide all those medical reports. They should give you a uh, you know, at least a piece of paper explaining if you have restrictions or not to your employer. Uh, your employer needs to have the ability to either provide a temporary or modified job or to tell you that they can't. Um, if you do have restrictions, if the doctor does give you restrictions, you want to follow those. Those aren't just, you know, for work purposes. They're f designed to help you get better. So that means not just at work, but also outside of work. If you're given 10-pound restrictions, you want to follow those both at the workplace and also in your personal life. Um, if the employer does offer you employment within your restrictions, take the job. We get a lot of calls uh, asking whether what they need, to, whether the injured worker has to return to work. If your employer is offering you employment within your restrictions, yes, you need to go. Um, and they sometimes will change the hours of the employment or the time. It's, there are even employers in Colorado that will offer modified duty at different locations, different businesses. And yes, you need to attend the uh, modified job offer if it's offered to you. The consequence is severe if you don't. If you don't, then the insurance company would not have to pay you uh, those benefits while you're off, and that can be a long period of time. You would have to, the, the injured worker would have to show entitlement to that benefit. So you'd have to file an application for court hearing, get the court date set. That's going to be months potentially down the road where you're not going to have money. So, you know, you do want to try everything that you can as far as uh, returning to a modified job if one is offered to you. You also don't want to be responsible for your job loss during this time period. You want to continue working to your best ability within the restrictions that are imposed by your physician if your employer accommodates those. If you are responsible for your termination during this time period, either through job abandonment or, or whatever performance issues you might have, then as Matt mentioned, they might be able to stop your temporary total disability or temporary partial disability payments, and you'll be without wage loss reimbursement. Yeah, so just try to save yourself the headache and, and avoid that if you can. So that'll kind of transition maybe into what if what if something gets denied and we and we can you know a claim denied a, med a medical treatment recommendation denied wage loss something like that what's the remedy beyond that and the remedy is a little bit different here as well than other areas of the law so in work comp we don't have trials to a jury we have trials to a judge and that judge is is an administrative law judge so these are administrative hearings. The way that they come about is the injured worker or the respondents, the insurance company employer can file what's called an application for a court hearing on any issues that they deem ripe to be heard at that time. 
that claim uh, or the application would then get set for a hearing. And at the hearing, the both parties are allowed to present evidence and witnesses and speak on your own behalf. You can be represented at that uh, hearing or you can do it on your own if you're an injured worker. I would say in general, that would be a good time for, uh, if you haven't done so already, but if the injured worker has something denied, that would be a, a very good time to contact an attorney because that benefit is unlikely to later be be allowed or granted unless the injured worker takes the step of filing the application, asserts his or her rights, uh, and ultimately proves the right to the benefit. So uh, that would be a great time to contact someone like myself and Erica, if you're so inclined, or, or other attorneys in this area. So that's, you know, a broad overview of Colorado Work Comp Law. Again, it changes frequently, so stay up to date on those legislative changes. Um, Contact an attorney if you have any questions, and thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. For more information on this topic and many others, visit cle.copar.org. CLE. 